When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. The use of magic in Tolkien's works has always interested me because... I believe that there's always been a fundamental misunderstanding about how magic actually works and what it even entails. And my sense of this is it's because, well, it comes from a lot from us, from we, the readers, imposing on the works our own expectations of what magic is or what magic even means, rather than paying attention to what the works actually tell us in um, biblical studies. For example, when you study uh, historical works and biblical works and uh, religious works, especially there's the use of the terms eisegesis and exegesis. So eisegesis is E I S E G E S I S and exegesis is E X E G E S I S. And the difference is when you are reading a work and you are imposing to into the work itself your own expectations of what you are looking to find and then justifying what you are looking to find, that is eisegesis. When instead, and this is the way we should be reading works, whether they're fiction or nonfiction or whatever, you read the work in a way where you are interpreting out of the text and you're letting the text tell you what it's saying and understanding its context only from what is within the text and what comes out of it without inserting any of your own expectations. This is exegesis. And in my understanding of the way magic works in the world of Tolkien, and, and this happens not only with magic, just side note here, this also happens a lot with people's expectations, with people's beliefs about what it's saying about culture and Tolkien himself and all of these things, which I try very hard to stay away from isogesising these works, right? So when it comes to magic, I believe that this is something that many of us do simply because we have expectations of what will be in the works or what magic has meant to us before we got to reading these works. So before we get any further with the stories and with the events that happen after the death of Feanor, and all the things that his sons do and, and the way things happen in Beleriand and what goes on with Melkor, all of that stuff. Before we get into any more of that stuff, I wanted to take an episode to address what magic might actually be in Tolkien's works, according to him and then according to other scholars that have used the works to tell us 
what's in there rather than us putting our expectations on those works ourselves. So I hope you guys are ready for this episode. It's going to be very interesting, and I think you might get a different sense of how magic works in the world before we get into more about so many of the events of the elves who are the primary magic users in Tolkien's works. All right, so hold on to your butts. Here we go. So the first place to start with any discussion about this is the author's words and views himself. And unfortunately, he he didn't address this topic very much. There are two letters, and these letters are documented in one of the books that pulls together a bunch of his correspondences. These are officially in the world of Tolkien fans and scholars and whatever. These are labeled letters 154 and 155. 155 is actually supposed to be an unsent draft of 154. And these are from September of 1954. So we're going back in time, almost 70 years here. And if you know the timeline of Tolkien's writings and and those kinds of things, this is... It's a good it's a good bit towards the end of his writings, although not exactly at the end. He he went on for another decade plus uh, kind of, I guess, retooling his works a little bit. But that's neither here nor there, because I think that this understanding of magic from him to me seems like a solid explanation for what he was trying to convey. And in that letter, letter 155 He notes that magic is an innate ability of the Einar and the firstborn, the elves, to the exclusions of everyone else, mostly. And I think maybe in this letter, he was kind of summing things up in a very simplistic way, because we do have examples of men and dwarves using forms of magic, but not in the innate ability kind of way that the Einar or the firstborn do. So in this letter, he notes that there is a distinction between two major kinds of magic in his works. The first being what he would call Magia. And of course, in Tolkien's own way, he uses Greek words to define these. So Magia involves the use of some mechanism, like speaking the proper words at a magic door. So think about the uh, doors of Durin to get into Moria. To make it open, um, Sauron also uses this to create the dark clouds that cover Mordor and Gondor before the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. Then there's Goteia, which I'm probably mispronouncing, G-O-E-T-E-I-A, and Magea also has an E-I-A at the end, which influences perception and will. The elves, for example, use this to create artistic beauty without effort or deception. This is just something that they kind of do and exude into the world. And Sauron, for example, uses this to dominate the wills of his subjects. Now, Tolkien said that these could not be acquired by studying ancient lore books or spell books or anything like that, which by the way, 
you never come across in these works a spell book. This isn't like Skyrim where you go, oh, this is the spell book for, you know, levitation. And then all of a sudden you, you study that and you learn the, the magic spell of levitation. These are inherent powers not possessed or attainable by men as such. And this these are his words, inherent power not possessed or attainable by men as such. But we do have some examples in the books from men attaining power. For example, the Numenorians used spells in making swords or the uh, the dwarves working with the elves to make the magic inscriptions, which are clearly in dwarven runes on the doors of Moria, which may or may not have had more dwarven influence or not. Maybe the elves built that themselves, but just used the dwarven runes. We don't really know. But the point is that both of these, Magea and Goatea, both can be used for good or for evil. And he makes this very clear, that these, these magics in themselves are not necessarily good or evil. They're more like tools that anybody can use. You can use a hammer to build a house for somebody to live in, or you can use a hammer to break down the door to the same house that somebody's living in, right? they're they're not necessarily defined in and of themselves as good or evil. So in this description, it's very clear that at least in Tolkien's original conception of these, that these things were inherent only to the most powerful beings in the world and the elves and the elves are among the most powerful beings. And like we've discussed in previous episodes, those elves who went to the promised land, the Amon, who lived in Valinor and saw the light of the trees in themselves have more ability to invoke this kind of effect on reality around them. Let's just say that through either crafting things or just being who they are. And this is another interesting point. There's a line from Galadriel when she's speaking with Sam, and the quote goes exactly like this. And you, she said, turning to Sam, for this is what you folk would call magic. I believe, though I do not understand clearly what they mean, and they seem to use the same word for the deceits of the enemy. But this, if you will, is the magic of Galadriel. Did you not say that you wished to see elf magic? And even among themselves, there's this sense that the elves don't clearly understand what other people mean when they say magic, because it is so inherent to who they are. This ability they have to shape and mold nature is really what I get from this, this sense that they have this innate ability. For example, let's just do a thought experiment here. There are birds that have a part of their brains that are able to tell directionality based on magnetic fields of the earth. So they know if they're traveling north or south, east or west, they just feel it. It's just something that their brains do. Our brains don't necessarily do this. We don't have that functionality in our brains. But imagine if we were to discover a long lost tribe of humans who live on some island somewhere and they happen to have evolved this function in their brains that would appear magical to us. We wouldn't understand how it works. We wouldn't without, ex, you know, exhuming them and using science to discover this. But we, we would <laughs> we would feel like these people are magical. They always know if they're moving north or south. We put them on a boat or we put them on a plane and we fly them over to 
a city somewhere to get them studied of course under their own will and approval because we're not animals or at least we're not as terrible as we used to be hopefully um but then they tell us you know like wow that was a really nice travel that we we took northwest or whatever right like we would think this is that's just magic but to them that's an innate ability and to the elves this is for the most part how magic works it's something that they can just do and it's personal that's the other piece here is that it's individual to the user so galadriel's extent of her ability to influence and shape the world around her that her connection to nature is distinct to her Feanor's ability to do this is distinct to Feanor Gandalf's ability to do this is distinct to Gandalf or Saruman or Sauron each of these individuals have their own innate natural abilities to affect the world around them in ways that the rest of everybody else, the mortal people around them would consider beyond their ability and understanding as magic. And that's why they call it magic because they don't understand it. Isaac Asimov, the sci-fi writer is famous for a quote where he said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And the spirit of that is If people are able to do something using tools or abilities that we don't understand, then we are going to just give it the label of magic. And that's what this comes down to, is that the mortals just don't understand it, and the characters that have these abilities don't understand what they don't understand, because to them it's so natural. So many Tolkien scholars have debated the true nature of this magic and its limitations and its types and all of those kinds of things. Patrick Curry in Defending Middle-Earth, Tolkien Myth and Modernity, Modernity, man, I totally messed that up, but I'm leaving it in here, which was published in 1997, discusses the nature of enchantment and how this is kind of a fundamental property and concern of the elves. So, for example, in the scene in Lothlorien, Quote, Frodo stood a while, still lost in wonder. It seemed to him that he had stepped through a high window that looked on a vanished world. A light was upon it for which his language had no name. He saw no color, but those he knew, gold and white and blue and green. But they were fresh and poignant, as if he had at that moment first perceived them. On the land of Lorien, there was no stain." And this ties, again, fundamentally into the nature of what the elves are and what they can do. And we know in Lothlorien there's the effects as well from Galadriel's ring. It's one of the three rings that were crafted, the rings of power for the elves. But this is only one example of what the elves seem to do. They enact their will on nature around them. And it's like they have this fundamental connection to nature, a very deep connection where they are able to sculpt or change or enchant the world around them into this other place. And this is something that connects back to the world of the fairy. This this theme that comes up in these old myths, especially European myths, that if you were to travel too far from the known areas of men 
then you might stumble into this other world of the fairy. Another example of this is when the ringwraiths are chasing Frodo across the water and Elrond unleashes the the water against them, kind of sweeps them away, but also adds to it the impression that the water looks like horses galloping. He's using this enchantment in order to change and meld the world into something that he wants it to be. A very similar example would be Tom Bombadil when he comes and rescues the hobbits. He commands nature to change because of what he wants. The other piece to all of this is oftentimes there are words that are included as well, either through speaking or through song. So much of what the elves do and so much of their magic, their power is contained in language. And there's this really interesting connection there as well. We don't see it all of the time. So, for example, we didn't see when Galadriel spoke the words that affected the forest around her or when Elrond spoke the words that brought the water. All we see are the results in those situations. But we do sometimes see characters speaking or singing and the world changing around them. And this is even used against other characters So, for example, Gandalf saying you shall not pass to the Balrog was magic. He wasn't simply trying to intimidate the Balrog. He was crafting a spell. And that entire conflict between them is a conflict of wills. And the words and the things they're saying and doing encapsulate a conflict beyond just what we're able to see And we never actually see the physical conflict between them, which we understand happens at some point, supposedly, after they fall down. But up until that point, even the breaking of the bridge is Gandalf using words to affect the nature of the world around him. And there's something about that that's just so cool. Well, don't go anywhere. We're going to take the mid-break. I've got some patrons to thank. And then we're going to get into a list of a lot of the places that we actually do see magic and how that lines up with what we've already discussed. Don't go anywhere. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. 
Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, this is the part of the show where I get to thank our patrons, all 17 of you. Thank you for signing up and supporting the show. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have been enjoying the bonus episodes if you are signed up at that tier or the ad-free episodes if you're signed up at the first tier. Thank you so much. This is something I do for a living, so every little bit helps, and I really appreciate the support. We don't have anybody new this week, but I I just appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Also, thank you for the conversations that are happening in the posts on the Patreon. So when these episodes go live, they go up a day early for our patrons on the Patreon site. And then there's a place where they can comment and people can leave questions. And today I will be addressing some more questions that came in from the community over there for the bonus episode. So if you're into this stuff and you really want to get deeper in the meta commentary and all of that stuff, then... The Patreon is the place to be. Um, also, we have some new reviews here. And man, you guys with your reviews say the kindest things. Every time one of these comes in, it totally makes my day. Thank you so very much. So let's start with Jacob of the Third Age. And this is just magical, Jacob. I love this. I'm speaking of magic, this is magical. Great for family listening. Five stars. This is a wonderful podcast for all things Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. It's a great bonding experience for my eight-year-old son and I to listen to together. I'm just going to pause there. I read, I believe my son was seven when we read The the Hobbit. Also, my daughter, who's now 10 years older than my son, she's like 21 now, uh, and I read The Hobbit when she was seven as well. That's awesome. I'm glad you're having that experience with your son. He goes on and says, Robots is a super engaging speaker with a slow cadence and great inflection, which captures and keeps my fidgety son tuned in. We chuckle when Robots gets into Lord of the Rings name pronunciation because we're far worse than he is. (laughs) Yeah, pretty bad. Even better, after each podcast and bonus episode, my son wants to talk about the topics Robots brings up and how Tolkien's world relates to our own, like concepts of purpose, responsibility, evil and morality. That is amazing. First of all, if you are not having these conversations with your kids, please start because they are sponges for this stuff and it will make a difference in their lives. He goes on and says, well, except for episode seven bonus where my son fakes retching when robots is talking about men and women or Elvin Kings and my are falling in love because girls are icky. I love it. Bottom line, if you're looking for a family-friendly activity to engage with your kids away from television and modern distractions, this podcast is your answer to de- to dive deeper into Tolkien's world beyond the books and movies. A plus exclamation mark. Jacob, thank you so much. That is amazing. Tell your son hi. Hi, I don't know your name, but hello. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my show. We have another one here from QK Loa. Kloa? who uh, actually left a review for one of my other shows, uh, The Witcher Lorecast recently as well. And Kyolola, I can't say your name, but thank you for leaving this review, wrote one podcast to rule them all five stars. Incredible podcast time. (laughs) Excuse me. Tom does an amazing job delivering the lore in this show and staying true to Tolkien's work without the podcast becoming a full reading of the books or leaving the listener feeling like he is skipping over a lot of information. Well, thank you. It's good to know that I'm hitting that balance uh, just right. They go on and say, easy listening and an absolute delight. 
would definitely recommend dropping an Eve on this podcast. I see what you did there. We ain't dropping no Eves, Mr. Gandalf. Um, that is awesome. Thank you to everybody. If you would like to help me out and you can't sign up for the Patreon, there's lots of other ways to do it. Leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Even if that's not your main place of listening, if you have an account, you can go do that and that would help a ton. Tell your friends about the show and just being part of this community. I love you guys being here and sharing your thoughts and things. Join us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can just search it or there's a link. It comes right up. It's, uh, the link's in the description. All right. Let's move on with the rest of the episode because we got more to talk about. All right, so I teased it before the break, but we're back. And so now we're going to go over all of the different kinds of examples of magic that happen in the Lord of the Rings books and potentially the Hobbit as well in those main books. We won't talk about the Silmarillion yet because we'll definitely be getting to that stuff, which I've spoiled a little bit about, but we'll get there. But let's just go down the list of who does magic quote unquote and what that magic is like from examples so for example the wizards who we know are Maiar so they are inherently magical or at least can do things that mortals don't understand well like we discussed before so for example Saruman has great power and is able to deceive people and create illusions you think about Gandalf saying like be careful of his words he will deceive you the humans well I guess the mortals have to fight their will against the words that he's saying because his words are inherently magical and Gandalf knows this now Gandalf is able to create fire or shine a bright light and It's also been noted in the books that he can use many spells, but of course, this is from the perspective of the hobbits. So even something like fireworks might be casting a spell or the creation of a firework might be casting a spell to their perception of technology and the kinds of things that Gandalf can do. Now, Gandalf also has the ability to read Frodo's mind. That comes up as well. His mind and his memory. He can actually look into the minds and memories of other people. And this is discussed as well among the scholars, this sense of do mortals in this world understand that this is something others can do? People seem to be able to guard against it once they're aware that this is a thing. So maybe this is at least the guarding of it is an inherent thing to everyone. But the ability to look into the minds and memories of others is something only specific other individual, more powerful beings or individuals can do again we only really get gandalf as the the one who can do this at least who's stated specifically in the books then there are the dark lords we've got melkor and sauron melkor of course is morgoth he was one of the valar and then sauron who is a maiar and we definitely know that they have magical abilities, including Sauron being able to put his power into the one ring, which again is is interesting because it's this manipulation of reality. It's not just a ring. It's a ring that inherently has his power in it. Then there's the Balrogs, 
which we know are Maiar as as well. And um, for example, when Gandalf is trying to stop the Balrog from coming, he puts a spell on a door and the Balrog breaks the spell. So there's some inherent magic going on there. Then we have dragons. So the dragons, which we haven't talked about yet in the Silmarillion, but the dragons are created in the first age and they seem to have other abilities. So for example, smog can hypnotize his prey using dragon spell or even the sense that there's like this curse of greed on the things that smog has collected and, and hoarded over simply because he's been close to them or the fact that the world around the lonely mountain seems to have decayed and, and yes, part of it, that is smog flying around, burning the countryside, but there's also just this, this sense that his very nature poisons the world around him. Then there's the Nazgul. So we know that these were men who were trapped by the power of the rings that were given to them. Now, once they're turned into Nazgul, they do seem to have a magical quality to them. In fact, for the most part, they, they exist in this otherworldly dimension, this almost like evil fairy space where they aren't a hundred percent perceived in the real world, or at least in our world anymore, which in and of itself is kind of a magical thing. We also know that they um, can use spells of beckoning and location and use fire as weapons and their black breath spreads depression and terror among their enemies. Similar to maybe the, the feeling like the, the dragons have of creating this area around them. That's poisonous. The Nazgul kind of do something very similar where they spread fear and terror and depression. Just, just them being around is disturbing to mortals. Then there's the elves. We talked a lot about what the elves do. Um, there's also the crafting of items that the elves have created, like Feanor has, or the file of Galadriel, or even the cloaks and the boats that are given to the party, to the fellowship. The boats, in a sense, are magical in that they kind of have their own will. They know exactly where they're going, and they can. It, it's like they're in tune with the people that they're delivering and where they need to go which is interesting. And then the cloaks, the, the camouflage that they give the party is greater than any camouflage that would naturally be sewn into the, the design of the fabric. So there's some magic going on with that as well. The, um, the dwarves, we've got the one example of the spell operated doors of Dur Durin um, into Moria, but Again, I'm not very clear if that's something the, dwell, the dwarves created on their own, or did they craft that with the help of the elves? And so that functions in a slightly different way. Then there are the men and hobbits, and we don't really get much in the way of them using magic, like, like I discussed before. They, according to Tolkien, shouldn't really be able to, but the Numenorians did. Now... We haven't gone into the Numenorians. This is a second age thing. And as I've mentioned before, the Numenorians, many of whom were descended from 
a pairing of elves and men, maybe that elven blood is something that gives them the ability to interact magically with the world in an inherent way that other men don't have. And they craft magical items as well, magical weapons and a few other things. So, but for the most part, men and elves, not magical, right? Then there's Tom Bombadil, who I mentioned before, and the rescuing of uh, the hobbits from Old Man Willow. And again, when he shows up at the Barrow White, and he does all of this through singing. In fact, he's constantly singing. And I think that maybe that is a hint about a little bit about who he is. And to wrap this all up, if Tom Bombadil's voice and his singing are the, not the source of his power, but the conveyance of his power into the world around him. And it happens very commonly for the elves as well. And in fact, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is an event where a individual, an elven individual is in battle with Sauron and it's it's more like a rap battle. It's like it's like they're singing at each other, which would be really weird to put on film because it would just look so odd to us. But that is how the power is conveyed into the world. And so you might you might know where I'm going with this. All of this ties back, at least it seems to tie back to the song of the Ainur, to the creation of the world itself and the vision of that creation at the beginning of time. Words and song were the first magic. And there's something profound about that, because Tolkien uses it throughout all of his works, even unto the end of the Third Age, as magic and these powers are declining. They're still there. And there's something really cool about that. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. I might get more into the artifacts themselves because we've definitely got to talk about the rings and the palantiri and some of the other items that are crafted magically. Maybe we'll do an entire episode about that in the future, but that'll be pretty far down the line because we've got more story to get to with the events of the first age. And it gets it gets crazy, guys. It gets crazy. I can't wait for this. So I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for being here. Stay safe out there. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play.